Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio. On this show, I interview life coaches, business coaches, and other coaches to discuss all aspects of coaching and business. We'll also take your questions, and you might even have the opportunity for live coaching right on the show. I'm Coach Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people transitioning from corporate America to entrepreneurship. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. If you're listening live and you want to call in with a question, the call-in phone number is 646-929-2893. You can also go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash coachandrew, log into your account, and join the chat room. Once you're in the chat room, you can post questions and you can also talk amongst yourselves. This week's guest is Mark Jones. Mark's an acting coach in New York City. Mark teaches actors and business professionals the art of acting. He's also the co-founder of two companies, Connecting is an Art and Philanthropic Events. Connecting is an Art provides acting training to business professionals and to educational institutions. CIAA has been asked to create acting programs for several private high schools throughout the tri-state area. Philanthropic Events creates branding and events for charities and nonprofit organizations. Some of the charities Philanthropic Events has worked with include the Food Bank for New York City, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS, and Susan and Jean Komen for The Cure. Mark has received an award from the Borough Group for all his artistic support. For more information, see www.philanthropicevents.com. And now I'm going to bring Mark onto the air. Mark, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's a real treat. It's a real treat to have you. You're uh, one of the uh, most fun people I know. (laughs) That's a nice thing to hear. Wow, no, thank you. You made my day. All right. So so tell me now, uh, tell me about what you do as an acting coach. All right, great. Well, thanks. Um... What I do as an acting coach? Well, as as you already kind of said, I, I work with actors, but I also work with uh, business professionals, executives, um, and I show them what it is, the craft or the art of acting. I think a lot of people have uh, different ideas of what they think acting is and stuff like that, and all those ideas are valid. All ideas are valid, actually. So um, what we kind of do is we sit down and we kind of discuss, first of all, what they think acting is. Now, a lot of people think acting is pretending to be somebody. And I disagree with that completely. I don't think acting has anything to do with pretending to be somebody else. I think acting is about you being you. I think that's as clearly as I can state it. The circumstances always change in scenes, but you always are you. Um, There's a lot of books written on both theories on this stuff. Uh, on both sides of it, whether, you know, as far as character work goes and stuff like that. But I really can't um, emphasize that enough. Acting is a doorway, is a uh, tool that you can use to figure out who you are and then become the person you really want to become. I mean, even Aristotle 2,000 years ago wrote about the healing properties of the theater. Um, The greatest... um, psychologists, if you will, of the last several thousand years have been the playwrights, the Arthur Millers, uh, the Shakespeare's, 
the other people really captured people, what they're about, what they do, who they are, stuff like that. And then scene work gives you then the extra opportunity to now try out this new you in a safe, supportive environment instead of just trying it out in public where you won't really do it anyway because you've spent so many years pretending you're somebody that you're not. Um, actors um, um, get this knowledge about themselves and then they spend the rest of their lives um, experiencing it on greater levels and then showing it to other people. Very cool. So what's your, what's your background? What brought you to this? Oh, God. I've been wanting to do this my whole life. I love film, love theater, love TV. I, I connected with it so much because I saw actual reality. Um, there's very little reality left in actual life. There's just this common thing that everybody thinks it exists. There's some, some sort of objective reality. Uh, when you study psychology, the mark or, or, or of a depressive is that they think there's an objective reality. And I disagree with that. I, uh, not to go like Immanuel Kant here and, you know, um, talk about the nature of reality, which art really starts to us pretty heavily. But um, I just love seeing people be so wonderful and amazing. And I saw that in film, TV, and theater. And then I thought, wow, I think everybody could become like this. They could be wonderful. They just need the encouragement and the instruction to, uh, to figure that out. And then I went for a bunch of schooling to all the famous schools, learned what they had to learn, and... and, and um, you know, from there, uh, started to develop my own methodology over the years. Well, you said you went to the, all the famous schools. Like what? Uh, Atlantic Theater Company, UCLA, the Bauer Group. Um, and I also went to non-famous schools, just so I'm clear, too. I went to some, uh, I won't mention those, some less than notable schools, but I really wanted to try all the different methodologies. And, and I read, I think, every book there was on acting. I think I did. I used to just go to Barnes & Noble, sit by the shelves, and just read books and put them back on the shelves. So you, you you're trying to tell me you've never paid for a book? Something like that. <laughs> okay, because you know I'm keeping track of this for Barnes and Noble. They actually paid me to do this. It's funny when people come over and they see like, wow, you only have like 50 books out here or something like that. I said, well, those are the only books that I kept. Uh, All the other ones I took back. The ones that I keep have tremendous notes in it and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, it's a good point. No, I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. You know that. <laughs> I know, I know you, Andrew, and I, I, I would expect nothing less. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. So, uh, one of the things you um, talked to me about earlier when we uh, had a conversation was uh, acting outside of acting, and I'd like you to tell me more about that. Cool. So, like more so for the non-acting for the non-actor, right? Right. Yeah, I think people think. Well, first of all, I'm always stunned how many people, when you finally get to really talk to them, they actually start to really relate to you, how much they have an interest in acting. I mean, almost everybody has some interest in acting. Maybe not everybody, because then people are like, oh, I don't have an interest in acting. But a very high percentage of people have a real interest in acting. Again, because they see themselves in these artists doing things in situations that they've experienced, but being the people that they wish they could be in those exact same experiences. So I kind of take that and bring that out into the rest of the world. So if you're an executive, it started actually in my business first with lawyers and people had to do presentations. That's why they came and they saw me and they're like, you know, I'm, I get nervous in front of people or um, people are not relating to me in presentations or the uh, court, I never win a case and stuff like that. And, 
you know, through referral, people recommended me to these people. So it started out there. But what... Mr. Andrew, can you hear me? Yeah, you just cut okay, cool. there. Okay, just Yeah, there was something that skipped. I got a little um, nervous. Uh, so, yeah. And um, what happened is people were starting to say, well, as the non-actor, why would I have a need for acting? Um, what is it in for me? So if they really are like, well, no, acting is just not for me. And then we, again, like I said earlier, we go down, well, what is acting? And then they're like pretending to be somebody else. No, not what acting is. Acting is being you in any presented circumstances. It's just that people haven't been themselves pretty much their entire lives. They get to a lot of uh, survival techniques. They start hearing different things over the years about what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And then slowly, the real them disappears a little bit each day until there's nothing left. And then there's just the operating system of what's left. Um, and that's when they come to me. And they go, you know, I'm just not... <clears throat> 100% happy with my life. I feel like my life could be better. I think I could get more out of my relationships with other people and with myself. And I said, perfect, that's a great place to start. That, that sounds like a fantastic place to start. And then we start, we start talking to them. I start talking to them. That's what I basically do is I talk to people. And I, you know, we go through things and stuff like that. And we go, well, what is it that you really, what is it that you're not accomplishing? You know, when people come to me and say, well, I'm not making enough money, or, oh, I'm nervous, like I said, in front of people, or I don't know how to pick up girls, all these weird things I'd get. And all of them, after showing them the magic of acting and giving them the possibility to become their, their own self, they go out with this new thing, I'll talk about that in a second, and they go and they try it out in the world, and they can't believe the results they get. They're like, I can't believe that worked. All I was was myself. It was really weird. And then I say, well, isn't, it, isn't that kind of odd? And they go, that's really odd. And I said, well, if a little bit of you know, this logic, if a little bit of yourself seems to um, create some opportunities, why don't we try a little bit more? Because you can't, a person won't change overnight. You got to, like I always say, let's try it at the deli first. Like, I, you know, like when someone comes to me and they want to ask their boss for a raise, but they're too nervous. I say, well, let's try it at the deli first. See if you can get a, a sandwich for half off or, or get more mayo or something like that. And then it works out. Because if not, they're not going to try it out in the world. That's the other thing that acting provides them. It gives them the opportunity to try their new self out in a scene in class or on one-on-one. -on -one. And they try it out in their scene and they see what it would be like to interact in this scene as themselves. And they all of a sudden, they just fall in love with themselves. They're like, wow, I'm really pretty interesting. I say, yeah, you are. When you get actually show people what you think are your imperfections. But the imperfections, that's the good stuff. Hmm. So I, I want to, hopefully that makes some sense. Well, it makes a certain amount of sense to me, but I, I, I'm interested um, in the idea of you saying that you're actually training people to be themselves when they act. And so when somebody comes in and they, they're going in for a part, for example, that's, they're taking on a character, so how does that, how does that apply then? That's great. You know, there's a great many books written about character work. And a uh, quick little, you know, history here. The, 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 over 100 years ago, there was this guy called Stanislavski. Some of the acting people out there will know who he is. And he came up with the methodology of acting. Before that, actors weren't trained how to act. They were taught how to fence and how to sing and how to do uh, fight choreography um, and all that other stuff. But nobody was actually taught how to act. Some people seem to just be better at it than other people. Now, Stanislavski, the father 
of all acting or modern acting said, he, well, actually, he wasn't a very good actor. He was like, I'm a horrible actor. I'm going to try to create a methodology, hence the word the method came into vernacular, mm. of how to create a character or acting, stuff like that. So he went and he spent his whole life doing this. It's kind of funny. And his first drafts weren't very good. He wrote books in the beginning that weren't good. And then he rescinded books later, blah, blah, blah. The story goes on for ages, stuff like that. But even Stanislavski, the guy who created the idea of character work, said, how could somebody in six weeks, let alone right before an audition for a week or whatever, create a character that's more interesting than they, than they who they are been and who they are have been for their entire life? That's, as I like to say to my students, metaphysically impossible. What, what character work hides is the part about you that you don't want to show other people. So let's say the character is uh, a psycho killer or um, an alcoholic or something like that. Inside of each person is a psycho killer and an alcoholic. And inside of each person is a hero, too, and a saint. All of those things are inside of us. You know, it's making, you know, they say actors, they make peace with their imperfections. They don't discount them. They don't whatever. They just make peace with them. We all have these quote-unquote imperfections, which again are all subjective standards that we created upon ourselves from something that we were taught early on. And we, it gets all convoluted. I won't go into the whole thing about it. But the whole reason that you don't like a particular thing about yourself isn't a decision that you made for yourself. It was something that was thrust upon you at a certain age. You made it mean something, and you're often running into a place that has nothing to do with you. Now, character work, again, and they have whole schools about this. Juilliard, I live right across the street from Juilliard. Juilliard makes a great deal of money um, creating this idea of character work, and they have a four-year program where you can't actually audition for other for projects, excuse me, because if you were to get a project, you wouldn't be paying them their $50,000 a year. So um, there's a lot of different schools of thought. Some people believe in character work. I don't. I don't believe in character work. I believe you are every character. Every character is you. It's again, like I said, it's you making peace with that part of yourself, whether it's the rapist, which every man inside of him, this might not be a PC thing to say, has a rapist inside of him. That's okay. The thing is, in the safety of acting, you guys go over the rules first. So everybody gets to do what they're going to do. And in doing that, a bit of reality is shown for the rest of the world so that they can understand the rapist, and this is a hell of an example I've given, inside of them. Just like inside of each man is a hero as well. And that's why we, we identify with them. How many times do you love the bad guy in a film? This is true. Yeah, they're very exciting. I'm thinking of the, what's his uh, what's that fellow's name uh, Bardem. Um, that Javier Bardem. Yes, the, the movie that came out the other year with the uh, yeah, where he plays the killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, hopefully, one of our our listeners will, will call when they call in. They'll tell us what the name of that. Just blanking is. out on the name of that movie where he walks around with that weird uh, device and puts holes in people's heads. Exactly, and the weird haircut and stuff like that. The weird haircut. Yeah. Now, he, inside of him, if he wants to be honest, that person, that caricatures, whatever you want to call these elements, whatever you attributes, they're already inside of him. Hmm. 
gets in film or in theater or in any art form, we get to then express that. You know, like I always say to my students, art is the search and the expression of truth. Whether it's painting, music, movies, um, uh, sculpture, whatever it is, it's the search and the expression of truth. It's showing us about ourselves what we don't even know about ourselves. You know, Arthur Miller wrote the great play, almost a joke, it's so famous, Death of a Salesman, the great quintessential American play, nearly a flawless play. I haven't found the flaw in it yet. And I studied uh, Death of a Salesman in school years ago for six months, going over it and over it and over it and discussing it. I was completely obsessed with it. But many um, historians, writers, whatever, psychologists said, Arthur Miller summed up the 20th century American male in 90 pages. And it's true. Most men can read that play and be like, that's the story of my life. Mm. And he did it in like 80, 90 pages. It's a brilliant play. The perfect example of Aristotelian play arc as well, too, about the constant build, 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 build to crescendo, and then you end it. And it's, it's still that, um, uh, the playwriting arc is still used to this day, about 90% of the time. And it's the most effective way to tell a story. Wow, that's fascinating. I try to be. Yes, you are, Mark. So uh, I'd like you to to to, uh, to uh, sort of get into how the kind of coaching you do is related to the kind of coaching, for example, that I do, the kind of coaching that uh, professional life coaches do or business coaches do. Um, what do you see as the uh, parallels? Well, you know, I... I I've, I've heard of what other coaches do, and you know everybody has their own style and methodology. I remember when I was um, in theater companies and stuff like that. I'd also look at my other acting, the, not the at the time it was the acting teachers, their methodology and stuff like that. And I think we all draw upon other people's methodologies. It's kind of like in writing. They, you know, when you become a writer, they encourage you to steal other people's stuff. That's actually it actually creates, you know, um, you know that's the way knowledge goes. It's not. Um, uh, what's the word? Proprietorial, you know? Uh, knowledge is knowledge. And uh, great um, educators, and I think that's what coaches are. They're great educators. Um, they teach people to have what they want. One of the first things I always talk about with, you know, a, a new, I still call them students, uh, even though some of them are younger than me, some of them are older, you know, I have from teenage years till people well into their 60s, um, and yet I still call them students, uh, as I consider myself to be, because I think there's always more to learn. But uh, back to uh, the coaches, so, I guess, so what I say to my, my students, I say, well, what is it that you want? Now, a lot of people don't even know the answer to that. They've gone so far they don't even know. And I think uh, any coach that's worth their salt wants to find out what is it that their client or student wants from their life? If they can't help them get that, then they're useless. If, you know, you know as I say, I've never failed. That's a big thing I always say. I'm, I'm, I'm very big on that. I will not fail. Um, and I have, I have students that are suicidal, and I have students that are just really need someone to talk to sometimes, and they don't really have anything that's pressing. You know, they just, there's little things that just kind of drive them crazy, and I help them with that. And I have everybody in the middle, and I love them all. And that's another thing, and I think also with coaches, and I'm not trying to um, teach coaches, but 
the, the one area of my life that I have complete unconditional love for some people are all my students. I have unconditional love for them. I just, it's when you finally get to become lack, actually not lack, but the actual word is intimate with somebody, where two people are becoming truthful with one another. And it doesn't happen much in life. People are not truthful with one another. But anyway, let me just quickly go back because I'm getting a little <laughs> off the topic there. That's I apologize. Right. Um, but yeah, coaches, um, I don't know what every coach does. I know only you know the ones that I've come into uh, contact with and stuff like that. I just go, uh, my particular niche, if you will, is using acting, showing people first what acting is because people have different, like I said, ideas of what it is and showing them the application it has in their life where it's like, it's really, first of all, it's a language that they can relate to because film is an amazing, film, theater, TV are amazing teachers. They, they teach life lessons using a metaphor. Now, throughout the history of time, the metaphor has been one of the best ways for people to be able to communicate knowledge, ideas, lessons, things that are just too tough to understand. You know, if I try to sit down and really try to tell you, Andrew, why life's worth living and stuff like that, that's one way to go about it. But if I tell you, go watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, I dare you at the, after you watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life not to think that life's wonderful. Mm. It tells you a life lesson using a metaphor, a story. Now, all, all great music's a metaphor. Paintings are a metaphor. They tell a story, and in that story relates to you a lesson that's just outside of our grasp daily, but brings it into a language that we can understand. So in my teaching, I use that. And then acting, then we get to step inside that metaphor and play around. And that's just gets the creative mind going completely differently. Because what happens basically as people grow up is something they call um, uh, cross-hemispheric delineation. When we're, when we're younger, our two hemispheres, the right and the left, you know, the creative and the logical, are fused completely. And as we get older, and they show this on MRIs, our hemispheres start to disconnect, and they spend less time communicating with one another. What um, this type of training does is get these two things um, uh, talking better together and get the logical and the creative working together. And when they do, that's where you get real magic. It's not like one side's got the magic and the other one's got the devil. That's not the way it works. It's their um, mutual cooperation that creates such beautiful things. And they have seen in some of the real great um, people, or whatever you want to call them, um, the creative people or the very successful people, in their, their MRIs have shown that the hemispheric delineation is not as... Um, acute, as in you're a so-and-so less uh, successful individual. And by the way, when I say successful, I mean people having a fulfilling life, that they, under their definition, not societies, their parents, their religion, their government, all of which are wonderful things, and I'm not criticizing any of them. I'm just saying, but it's, it's a measurement that they've chosen. So that's, that's the thing that I think that I really do uh, very uniquely. And then even inside of acting coaching, I, I feel like I have a very particular method too. And what would you? How would you describe that? I would say it's just the best there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could have said that. Anybody could say that. So that, well, really about them, like a couple of things. First of all, you know, one of the homework assignments I give to my students is I tell them to watch movies. I give some really weird homework assignments. 
Do you have particular movies that you tell them to watch? You know, when I used to teach directors, I used to have particular movies. Like, I would make them watch, you know, Gandhi and, um, uh, uh, what's it called, Um, Family Business um, or um, uh, Citizen Kane. But now it's when you get to know the person and you start to understand a little bit more about what's kind of, lack of a better term, bothering them, where they're not finding the completion in their lives. And then you recommend films that are going to help start to inspire them that it's doable and then also to remind them that it's doable, but also um, to show them that it inspires them. So let's say um, they have... Uh, a public speaking um, thing, because a lot of people have a fear of public speaking. I, I made so much business uh, teaching people. I became, I became in the very beginning, I became known as two things. I could get anybody a call back. In the acting world, that was like, you have students line up your door if you can get people callbacks. Nobody even, not nobody, but a lot of actors don't, they're like, why would I want to learn how to act? I just want to learn how to get paid for it. So I was really good at getting callbacks. And the other thing was I was great at removing anxiety mm. because I had experienced so much anxiety myself. Nobody had a greater anxiety issue than me. I, you know, before certain situations, my legs used to shake out of control. Um, I could not control my legs to shake. And I actually went to my dad, who's a physician, and I said to him, I said, Dad, I, I can't make my legs stop shaking before auditions or this, that, and the other thing. And he says, and I said to him, you got to give me some pills for this. I can't, I can't do this. I mean, what kind of person can go and, and have their legs shake and not be looked at like they're crazy? And he says, they don't make no, leg, no uh, uh, leg shaking pills. They just don't make those pills. I can give you a Thorazine, uh, but you won't move at all. And, and, and for people who don't know, Thorazine they give to psychiatric patients who are in danger to themselves and other people. And when you take Thorazine, you can't move. You just, you just sit in a chair and you just... Or lay down, you sit there and you drool. It's a very heavy drug and stuff like that. So it took me a long time to realize that the reason I was getting nervous had to do with me. I was making myself nervous. But it took me years, to be honest, to get done with that. And what I became really great at and stuff like that is, like inside of a couple of sessions with me, someone, if they had like a lifelong fear of being nervous, bam, they just got rid of their nervousness. And showing them the right film along with some talking, can really speed along that process. Um, but, it, 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 you know, before I, I was about to say, you know, a certain film and stuff like that, but it really, when you get to learn more about the person and you find out what really excites them and motivates them. Like, for me, I'm nuts about this thing called justice. Like, I just get obsessed with it, this idea of justice and harmony. And when I watch a film about it, you know, like... Um, I'm not sure how many people out there tonight, and I don't mean little people, have seen this movie, A Judgment at Nuremberg. Um, uh, it's Spencer, Stanley Kramer directed it. Everybody's in this movie. Spencer Tracy's in it. Maximilian Schell. And I know Andrew knows who Maximilian Schell is, this great German actor who I won the Academy Award for it. Mm-hmm. Judy Garland's in this film. William Shatner's in this film. Richard Widmark. Uh, everybody's in this film. And the whole film has to do with a lot of things. One of the, as Burt Lancaster's in the film, has to do with justice and this idea of justice. And it's about the Nuremberg trials that, um, that happened in the uh, late 40s after uh, World War II. 
that went on for a long time, and it was the first time there was a world court in all these things. And, um, you know, you think it's an open and shut case that, oh, the Nazis are bad and, and the Americans and everybody else are good. And uh, that's not what it actually turns out to be. And Maximilian Schell, who plays... Maximilian Schell's character defends the Nazis. That's his job. He's going to go defend the Nazis. Now, that's, that's, that's not a job. Sweet, <laughs> that's a tough job. You know, it's like, come on, we're going to go defend the Nazis. What? Wait, what? Who? You want me to defend who? You know? But no, he's... He, he, he's a German idealist, and he doesn't look at it the same way. And he defends this guy named Ernst Jani, who, ironically enough, was the basically the attorney general of Nazi Germany. And um, by the about, about three-quarters into the movie, you're like, you know what? Maybe these Nazis weren't so bad. Maybe we were all guilty in doing this, and maybe making them pay for our crimes is just a cheap way out, stuff like that, you know? So he does such a fantastic job, which, you know... I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Do you mean, do you mean to say that as a result of his, his speaking, you had that thought uh, during the movie? Absolutely. By um, the great acting, if you will, of Maximilian Schell, he really got your... He really created this great um, argument, which is a logical progression um, that... The Nazis weren't the only one uh, complicitous with what had happened. He builds this whole brilliant argument. You know, he talks about how the and I, oh, by the way, just so I'm clear, I'm not saying Nazis are good. And because um, people are like, are you trying to say no? I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying Nazis are good. I'm not saying Nazis are bad. I'm just talking about the film now. And um, I'm 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 pretty sure Nazis are bad. You know, <laughs> I'm no historian. Um, uh, not at least a professional one, but anyway. So, <clears throat> so he he talks about how how the Russians signed the non-aggression pact with them um, in 1939. How the um, the uh, the church, the the Catholic Church, has signed an agreement with Hitler, giving him his first prestige. Um, he shows how Winston Churchill. He quotes the London Times from Winston Churchill that if um, and this is before Winston Churchill was the head of, um, of, of Great Britain and during the war and stuff like that. But he says, if England was to ever to fall a national disaster, I would pray to God to send a man of the strength and mind of an Adolf Hitler. So, and, and then he shows how the American industrials profited over off the Nazi war machine. And so, you know, he prayed a really great argument. Obviously, by the end of the film, they create a better argument that says, whether that's the case or not, that still doesn't mean that these guys aren't guilty. You know, these guys did some really bad stuff. And, they, and you know, and there's this brilliant, brilliant scene, um, and I'll definitely end up here, wrap, wrap up here, with Spencer Tracy and the great Burt Lancaster. And Burt Lancaster's in prison, and he wants to meet with Spencer Tracy, who plays the head judge in the case, which he, tough for him to do. And he, 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 he sentenced him to life imprisonment and whatever. And he had gotten pressure also from the Americans to let him off the line because now they wanted to get the um, Germans on their side because they had another war to fight against the Soviets. And Spencer Trade says, no, we have, to, we have to figure out what happened here before we go on someplace else. We have to make this just. And they're sitting there in the jail cell at the very end, and, and Burt Lancaster says, look, you've got to realize 
I never knew it was going to get this out of hand. You know? And he says, the first time you sentenced a person to jail for a crime that they didn't commit, that's when you cross that line. And no matter what you do, he says this, nothing on God's green earth ever make it right again. And it shows us the power of our choices that we make when we don't stand up for what we truly believe in, how far it can get out of control. And when somebody's mind sees that, a new level of bravery infuses them. And little things like public speaking or not following your dreams seem pretty silly. And their mind goes, takes another lap around we talk about some things, and all of a sudden, we do unbelievable things. Mm. So it's, it's a very exciting thing to do. That was quite a uh, quite a uh, interesting segue. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, we just went in quite a direction there. That uh, if somebody was listening to that out of context, uh, we we could be in trouble. That's yes. How, that's yes. How, yeah, just, just to be just really quickly, clear. Again, not condoning Nazism. <laughs> no, to be really clear, we're talking about it. in the context of the performance of the acting and how it landed as a performance, not in terms of the subject matter at hand. Exactly. Okay. And realizing how powerful artists are. Yes. I mean, how many people, you know, you talk to people, everybody, not everybody, I, can, I keep saying that, but a lot of people really like movies. Why so, is it about them? Like so much. So here's a question. They say, you know me uh, reasonably well. What movie would you want me to watch based on knowing me? Oh, wow. God, there's so many movies. Um, for people who don't know Andrew or know him well, I think some of people do, Andrew is also a tremendous film buff like myself. Andrew and me, we, will, we have a lot of fun going up and back, you know, basically showing off our guns of who knows more about film. Um, and that's why I love talking to Andrew because we have such a passion in common. Um, let's think of a film that, because now I'm going to say a film and you're like, oh, I saw it. And then I'm like, damn it. Um, did you, you know, I did mention that earlier, Family Business. Did you see Family Business? I don't know if I've seen that movie. Is that a recent movie? It's from, I think, 19, it's the late 80s. Um, and it's kind of an overlooked film. Sidney Lumet directed it. Sidney Lumet directed um, just extraordinary films, uh, you know, Dog Day Afternoon mm -hmm. and The Verdict with Paul Newman. Great film also about justice. What a great film about justice, The Verdict with Paul Newman. Family Business, it sounds like a mob movie. You know, that's funny because it's not really a mob movie, but it's kind of like it's three criminals. Um, I, well, it's played by Sean Connery, Justin Hoffman, and Matthew Broderick. I mean, just three all with, they all brought their A game to that film. And Sidney Lumet, who's really known as the, the, uh, the actor's director or the director's actor or whatever you want to call it, really brings out such beautiful performances. It's such a beautifully written script. And um, gosh, I really, I, I recommend every, um, I'm not sure if women like it as much as men, but every guy I've ever recommended family business to, they just, it's so beautiful. And they play three criminals, basically, or sort of like that. But I don't want to ruin it for you. But I, I would recommend that. You know what? What else would I recommend for you to watch? Um, and, and and tell me why as well. Oh, it's such a it's a great story about first of all family. It's, it's a it's a grandfather, a father, and a son. 
And, you know, we all idolize our fathers so much. Um, I, I know Andrew has a, a great relationship, and when I say great, I don't always mean good or bad, I just mean it's a, it's a large relationship that has um, determined a great part of his life. And when you, what happens is when you become a father, which I'm not, um, but I hope to be one day, is no matter what your son does, you love him. And even if he spits in your face, <laughs> you still love him. And you wait until he kind of grows out of it. You know mm. what I mean? Because your job is to provide that unconditional love and a, a, a solid foundation for him to always come back to. Um, this segue also makes sense. My brother, uh, who recently got a dog, and the dog got sick. And uh, we're big dog people. And it's my first nephew, basically. My brother hasn't had children yet. I haven't had children yet. And um, the dog got sick. I mean, he was a little puppy. And he really got sick. And it looked like maybe uh, he might not make it. And I actually flew off to San Diego to basically, you know, as they say in our religion, sit shiva, you know, in precaution to... Yeah. You know, you know, precaution to make sure that nothing would. Um, I've never heard of advanced shiver. Yeah, we wanted to. We we really like to cover our bases. Okay. You know, and just to make sure. And it's um, and the dog, thank God, got better. Now he's fully recovered and stuff like that. He'd gotten puppy pneumonia and his his white blood cell counts got bad and then his uh, the chest x-ray started getting worse and then they put a, his uh, blood oxygen level blood gas got bad and all these things I mean I was getting like two every two hours getting uh, reports on the dog's health and basically sitting by the phone and uh, I mean I couldn't sleep I was so nervous stuff like that but what happens is and it's really beautiful we're all sitting there we finally bring the dog home and this is in San Diego me my brother and my brother's wife and the dog would cough, and all three morons would get up off the couch and look over and make sure the dog's okay. Like, you know, three Jewish mothers, you know? Mm -hmm. All like, oh, are you okay, buddy? Do you need anything? And stuff like that. And then that's who you become. You become this great protector. And I think that's the way we look at our fathers. Our fathers, when we're younger, are 10 feet tall. They protect us. They make sure we're safe. And they never stops. And in the movie, they show that. When you're you're 60, when you're 50, when you're 20, and I'm going to ruin the movie, but... How dare you? Part, yes, but, you know, there's a part where the father turns himself in so his son doesn't have to go to jail. And he, he even turns in his father so his son doesn't have to go to jail. Because our children deserve every chance. And to be that stalwart, to be that that um, facade, if you will, that, that fixture, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. And then I got to be that even in small proportion with that dog, where you get to care for something and love it. And it's a really scary thing, and that's what the movie kind of goes through. It's these great big life lessons and great films. That's why we love them, because they, they, they let us see those 
They let us understand them better. They take them out and they show them to us because inside of ourselves we really can't see them very clearly. And that's, again, why I love acting and love what I do because I get people to get that out of them and show that. And it just takes my breath away. So you're saying then that there are these great lessons that we can learn from watching acting. Yeah, and definitely also by engaging in it. They mm-hmm. really take the ride. And that's why I think everybody should engage in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like like you had said in the beginning, you know, we got asked to, with one of the companies and what I teach, to teach in all these schools. I'm very excited about it. I hope I'm going to have enough time every day to do all this and stuff like that. And, and, and what we discussed also uh, in another conversation to our viewers that I discussed with Andrew was, you know, I'm now teaching other people to become teachers too and to, to uh, get some of this more methodology out there because teaching kids has been... I've only taught teenagers. I haven't taught little kids yet. But um, it's, it's, wow, it's a privilege. It really is. And the same thing with teaching executives and, and teaching in companies and stuff like that. For people to be wonderful human beings, basically, that's what acting is. It, it makes sure that you become a wonderful human being. And then you get to connect with other people in that because great acting takes place. I just want to say this real quick because this is, again, about character work and why it's such a crock of shit. And I, I hope somebody actually calls in and we can talk about it. Um, it, uh, on, the, on the character work and stuff like that because real acting is about truth and truth takes place when intimacy is present. Intimacy is two people being truthful with themselves and then being truthful with the other person. That's the definition of in- intimacy. But people don't want to do that because they're worried about something called vulnerability. We're taught vulnerable, blah, 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 you're, it's, it's dangerous, you can get hurt and that's why you need the last part in that formula. It's called courage. Great actors, and that's why everybody loves them out there, they exude great courage because they're willing to go for it. They are totally willing to go for it. They're like, I'm going to see what happens, stuff like that. And that's why we love them so much because <sighs> courage is one of the rarest things there is. Well, I got my courage from the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Dorothy. So we have just a couple of minutes left, literally, and uh, now would be a good time to let anybody know what, what you're up to and how they might reach you, uh, what, do you have any, anything coming up you'd like to talk about real quick? Sure. Well, as, as, as you pointed out, I have, I have that other company, Philanthropic Events. We're doing a bunch of events. We, we raise a lot of money for charity and stuff like that. I'm very excited about that. We have uh, events coming up for all that, and, and Andrew mentioned the website, philanthropicevents.com. If somebody wants to get a hold of me to do one-on-ones, the best thing to do is call me, bite the bullet, see what it would be like. Um, I'll give out my number now, or maybe I'll just give out my email address. I'll give out my number. Right? See, I need to be courageous as well. I'm worried I'm going to get nuts. But, Go for it, Mark. Uh, <laughs> my number is 917-971. Five zero four nine, and or you can just email me at Mark Jones eight, and that's M A R C J O N E S number eight at yahoo.com, and take that first step. You know, like what I usually do is I talk to somebody on the phone, see if we're a good match, um, and I'm really looking for those tough cases for people who are just like, well, I don't know, and you know, my life, I, I, you know, so many people want to become actors and they don't do it, and that's one of the things that just drives me absolutely insane. And then they just wait year in, year out, like something magical is going to happen. Or they take some silly class at, 
I want was not to mention a place. <laughs> so I'm get myself in trouble. But they take these McDonald's classes, and then they're taught by a bunch of idiots who teach them, oh, this is the way you act. And then they spend two years taking those classes week in, week out, and they don't realize anything comes of it. And they keep conflicting in their mind, well, this is not what I think acting is. And they don't have the kind of the guts and the courage to actually develop that own methodology because in class you are taught by consensus. And that does Got not it. work. Art is not done by consensus. Well, Mark Jones, I want to thank you so very, very much for being on Coach's Corner here on Blog Talk Radio. It's been a real pleasure to have you. We're actually you, about sure. 30 seconds from, from being off the air. And so, I, again, I thank you. And, everyone, please uh, visit Mark's site at philanthropicevents.com or be in touch with him. If you need the contact information, feel free to drop me a line. Again, thank you very much. And, Good night, everyone. We'll see you next week on Blog Talk Radio, Coach's Corner. Good night.